ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I want to welcome you to episode 20 of the Do I Offend You podcast. My name is Carl Britt. I am your host. I am and will always be your truth teller. All right. So Lord bless everyone today. Episode 20, huh? What's up with that? A little bit of a milestone. All right. Rolling on through with it. Uh, Absolutely amazing how God could take a nobody like me, a wretch like me, and uh, use my story, use this podcast to bless somebody's heart. And uh, only God can do it. He gets all the glory. I give him all the glory. Uh, Got a special treat for everyone today. Okay, you're going to be blessed with this one. I'm telling you, this is, I'm super excited. So, I am going to, as you know, I am in the middle of a lesson uh, titled In Search of the Few. I'm only able to do it because of my work schedule every other week. Uh, But in between times, I'm just reaching out and touching base. But uh, for the next three times, um, starting today, I've got some really great material that I'm going to bring your way. So fitting for the day and age in which we live. Um, It is Pastor Raymond Woodward out of Canada, a dynamic preacher, folks. I'm telling you, he is anointed. And uh, he has a three-part series that he's titled The End Time. How close are we? And uh, I thought it would be a great blessing uh, for those of you who are interested in the prophetic, uh, for those of you who are interested in what is coming up on us rather rapidly, I might say. Uh, you know, if you're one of these guys that trust in the government, if you're one of those that trust in man and you're looking at our government to do something spectacular, uh, you folks, by now you can see. Uh, the political climate, the unraveling of the structure itself, and the left, how they are being exposed for what they really want to do with this country. It's upon us, folks. Hey, let me tell you something. We are living in the end times. There is no doubt about that. Uh, So I know you will enjoy uh, the message today coming from Pastor Woodward out of Canada. And like I said, the title of it is The End Time. How close are we? Lord Jesus, I want to keep my priorities straight with you at all times, Heavenly Father. So I just come before your throne of mercy and grace right now, God. I want to lift you up and praise your name, God. I want to give you the glory that is due your name at all times, Lord. I need my paths directed at every turn, so I acknowledge you in all my ways, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for how you are getting the glory and getting the praise and using this podcast and how you orchestrate each and every little thing. You're in control. You're the sovereign King of Kings and we trust you and love you for that. Lord Jesus, continue to bless each and every individual at the sound of my voice. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and bless your holy name, God. And everybody said in Jesus precious name, amen and amen. All right. So um, real quick, like I was saying earlier, that this is a little bit of a milestone where we are at uh, episode 20 of the Do I Offend You podcast. A very urgent time, a very um, important time for us to share the podcast with as many people as possible, our neighbors, our co-employees, our family. Uh, This is absolute, unadulterated truth, sound doctrine going forward. And, um, You know, if you care about the soul of humanity, please share the podcast. You never know when uh, 
or if this might be the only Jesus that somebody hears. Um, you know, God's been so good and so gracious and so merciful to me. And he's put it on my heart in this way with this platform to share what he has done, what he's capable of doing and what he wants to do in people's lives. So I just encourage you folks to continue to share the podcast if you wouldn't mind with as many people as possible. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without any further to do, I bring you Pastor Raymond Woodward from Canada. This is part one in a three part series titled The End Time. How close are we? Um, I'll be coming on at the end of it, as I always do, uh, just to say good night and give us the word for the week. Lord bless. I hope you enjoy. All right, real quick, ladies and gentlemen, just to let you know, I'm running this off of YouTube. Uh, I'm going to do my best to try to splice around the ads that uh, pop up. So if you hear little breaks in the action or whatever, just bear with me. It'll all come together in Jesus' name. Thank you. Just a couple of days before his crucifixion, Jesus sat down with his disciples on the Mount of Olives overlooking the beautiful city of Jerusalem. There with his disciples, he took the time to answer a very important question they had for him. Their question was, the end. How close are we? Jesus said, as he sat on that mountain, the disciples came to him and said, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the sign of the end of the world? And Jesus began to speak to them. And in his answer, he pinpointed a particular generation of people who would witness a rapid series of astounding events. And those events would culminate in his second coming. Those events, those signs, those signals are recorded in Matthew 24, many of them between verses 4 and 13. Jesus prophesies that there will be false prophets and uh, religious leaders who will deceive hundreds and thousands and even millions of people. He prophesies that there will be war and the threat of war. He prophesies that there will be severe racial tension when he says, nation shall rise against nation. That's ethnos shall rise against ethnos. And if we've ever lived in an era when we see ethnic tension, it would be today. He said there will be increasing rates of famine and disease and earthquakes, and they will happen in many places, even unexpected places. But skeptics say those things have always happened throughout human history. So how can those things be the sign of the end times? And I would answer that question by saying this, that signs are like labor pains. As the time of birth gets closer for that mother, her pains get more and more frequent and her pains get more and more intense. And the signs of the times that Jesus talked about, they're exactly like labor pains. There have always been all of these things, wars, false prophets. There have always been uh, different uh, natural disasters, earthquakes and famines and disease. There's always been racial tension of some kind or another. But the signs of the times are like a woman in labor 
as your time of delivery gets closer, you can make sure that those signs will be more frequent and they will get more intense. Paul wrote about this in Romans. He said, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The earth is literally convulsing. We see it as natural disasters. We see it as all kinds of natural phenomenon. But Jesus said, and Paul repeats, he said, really what it is is that the creation is groaning because it knows that its deliverance is coming near. And then Paul adds, it's not just the creation that's groaning, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even the Christians, even the servants of God, even the apostolic church is groaning within ourselves because we know we're not at the end of everything here. The end of our life is not retirement and then a funeral. The end of our existence is a life in heaven with Jesus Christ. So we're groaning. We're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I've got the Holy Ghost. I have eternal life in me. What I don't have is a redeemed body. What you don't have is a redeemed body. You're getting older. Some of us are getting slower. Some of us have increasing pain. And some of us have increasing disability. But there's coming a day when at one moment in the twinkling of an eye, everything changes and you will be forever in the image of Jesus, not only spiritually but physically. That's what we're groaning for. It's like a travail that we're waiting. We know this isn't the end. The signs have always happened. That's true. But if you just take a look, you'll notice that the signs have been increasing. This is a graph of earthquakes for just one example from 1900 through to uh, basically around our time within a year or two. And if you notice, the earthquakes, they increase over time. The frequency and the intensity uh, increase. That's just one sign that Jesus mentioned. It's particularly striking if you uh, don't look at every year, but instead you average out over a decade. And if you start with the decades from 1900 till 9 till now, you really, really see the difference. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but I did notice looking at that little chart that ever since 1948... Uh, earthquakes have gone off the chart and they're increasing over and over again. Jesus said that in the last days, believers would be hated, persecuted, even killed for their faith. He said that offense and betrayal would cause many to lose their faith. You say that doesn't happen in our world. I beg to differ. ISIS puts Christians to death by crucifixion and by beheading, just like they did in Bible times, and they're not the only regime to do it. You say, I don't like that picture on the screen, Pastor. That's the cleanest, most sanitized picture I could find of one of those horrible executions. That is happening. We are seeing an increase in all of the signs Jesus talked about. And Jesus said, because there would be such open iniquity, the love of many would wax cold. They backslide sitting in church pews. They backslide singing gospel songs. They backslide talking about Jesus. That's 
the spiritual climate that we live in. And then Jesus said, only those who endure to the end will be saved. You can look at that in your Bible, Matthew 24, 13. And could I dare say it? And could we dare receive it tonight? With regard to your faith, it's not most important that you're enjoying your faith. If you go to most churches today, all you'll hear is you can enjoy your faith. You need to become a Christian because then you can really enjoy life. You can enjoy your faith. Jesus didn't talk about enjoying your faith. Jesus said the most important thing is you endure this world and you endure persecution and you endure whatever comes against you so you can be saved. With regard to the disciples' question, how close are we? Jesus told them specifically, Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour knoweth no man. So to set dates in prophetic studies is useless, worthless, and pointless. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. And then he made another important point when he said this in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall be the coming of the Son of of man. Don't miss what Jesus said. Here's what he said. The day that I return will be just another normal, ordinary day. He said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they didn't even realize it until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said, I will return when the signs of the times are happening more frequently and with more intensity than ever before. And nobody will even notice it because they're too busy. They're too happy. They're too preoccupied. They're too successful. They're too content. They're too distracted. And they're too worldly. And he was addressing those comments to disciples. According to a recent study by Lifeway Research, only one-third of Protestant pastors even believe in the rapture anymore. I never thought I'd live to see that day, but it's here. Even fewer pastors in non-Protestant denominations believe in the rapture anymore. But Jesus talked about the rapture, and the apostles preached about the rapture, and the Bible still teaches us that there's going to be a rapture, and the apostolic church still believes that we're going to go in the rapture. Just because the world isn't expecting it, just because the church has declared we don't believe in it that doesn't mean it's not going to happen if jesus said it it will happen if the bible teaches it it will happen and that's why jesus ends what we call his olivet discourse he ends with this plea therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not that's exactly when the son of man is going to come 
One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament, one out of 30 mentions the subject of the end times and Jesus' return to earth. One out of 30. If you were driving along a long road in the nation and you saw signs along the road and there was a sign, the same sign, every 30 miles and you just keep seeing it over and over again, you would pretty soon determine that must be an important message somebody wants me to know. Well, every 30 verses in the New Testament in your Bible, the Bible is telling us something about this. Jesus is coming. Jesus will return. The rapture is going to happen and the church is going to be out of here. Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him. Shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? Not to them that talk about it. Not to them that preach about him. But to those who are living their life looking for him to return. Those are the ones he's coming back for. So pastor doesn't have any kind of stealth attack here tonight. I don't have a message that's going to sneak up on you in 30 minutes. It's right out of the gate. No matter what it costs you personally, you must be ready for the rapture. There is nothing more important for you to think about or prepare for or plan for or to expend effort on. It is life's most important appointment you cannot miss the rapture. What a fool you would be to sit in a Pentecostal church for months and maybe years and then not be ready to go in the rapture when the rapture is the point. It's why we build buildings. It's why we sing songs. It's why we preach sermons. It's why we teach Bible studies. It's why we pray and worship and live holy and serve God. It's the rapture. It's everything. I wish you'd lift up something to the Lord, intercession, prayer, worship, praise, whatever you got. But God wants to talk to us tonight. There's no surprise in the message. Well, I don't think we have a lot of time. And if this thing's winding up, we better be ready. While Jesus did not tell his disciples the day and the hour of the rapture. He did leave them with some important clues as to the season it would happen in. In Scripture, the nation of Israel is symbolized by the fig tree. And that's why Jesus told them a parable of a fig tree in Matthew 24 when he's talking about the end times. He's saying to them, keep an eye on Israel because Israel is God's prophetic timepiece. Here's the passage. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. You can watch the tree, and as you watch what the tree does, you'll know what time it is. You won't know the day, but you will know the season. So likewise ye, when you see all these things, what are you talking about, Jesus? I just gave my disciples all kinds of signs. When you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away. 
But my words, they don't pass away. You can count on my words. Jesus declared that the generation which saw the nation of Israel putting forth her leaves would be the same generation, this generation, one generation, the same generation. It would be the same generation that would witness all these accelerating, intensifying signs of his coming. That could not have happened in the first century because Jerusalem itself was destroyed in A.D. 70 and the Jews became a people without a country for nearly 1,900 years. So that couldn't have happened in the first century. That's not the generation he was talking about. Only since 1948 have the Jewish people become a nation once again. So it is the generation who saw Israel put forth her leaves. It's the generation that saw the fig tree bud again. It's the generation that saw Israel become a nation in 1948 that is going to witness the coming of Jesus if I've got anything figured out about prophecy. And so if you were alive in 1948, that is a thinning group of people in our church and in Christendom. But let me tell you something. I believe that the generation that was alive when Israel became a nation, some of them are going to be alive. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. I can't tell you the week or the month. I can't even pin it down to a specific year. But I believe that there will be people that were alive when Israel became a nation that will be alive to hear the trumpet sound and be caught up with the rest of us in the rapture, those that are alive and remain. I can't figure that verse out any other way. Well, Pastor Raymond, what does that have to do with us? How long is a generation in the Bible? Most scholars believe it is 70 years. That's due to various calculations and a whole bunch of different scripture references, but it's mostly because of verses like this, Psalm 90 verse 10. The days of our years are three score years and 10. A score is 20. Three score is 60. Three score and 10 is 70. And so that's the lifespan God said would be the average lifespan that was given to man. So we call that a generation from the birth of one man to his death. And if by reason of strength you get 80 years, then you're, there's still strength, labor, and sorrow. You've got enough strength to live, but you're still going to have labor and sorrow. In other words, you still have the human condition of aging and growing weaker for it is soon cut off and we fly away three score years and 10 70 years that's a biblical generation i believe i'm not a prophecy scholar i don't pretend to be a prophecy preacher but i would be shirking my duty as an apostolic pastor to come to this pulpit week in week out month in month out year in year out and never tell this church that jesus is coming and this thing's going to wind up and sooner rather than later it's not going to be when your great grandkids are roaming the planet it's going to be probably before some of us have our funeral and we're buried in the dirt probably some of us in this room are going to live to hear the trumpet sound and jesus is going to return with a shout now here's my point for tonight we'll talk about more in the coming weeks Israel became a nation the fig tree budded 
on May 14th. 1948, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 8, that nation was literally born in one day. Who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Almost without commentary by the greater Christian community in our nation, Israel marked her 70th birthday on Monday, May 14th, 2018. The generation that saw her birth is now beginning to pass away. If a generation is indeed 70 years, and if the signs Jesus talked about are indeed happening all around us, then his coming cannot be very far away. I don't wish to go back in history very much. I have a wonderful, blessed life, a beautiful family, an incredible church. I have great friends. God has been good to me. I don't wish to go back in time very much. But I wish the church could go back in time sometimes and capture the passion and almost the holy fear that we had about the rapture and the coming of the Lord when I was a kid growing up. I received the Holy Ghost in 1974. It didn't take hardly any kind of a sermon to get us to the altar to pray if somebody talked about the coming of the Lord. But Jesus said, it's not going to be in times like that that I return when everybody's conscious of it. It's not going to be a time when everybody's all up in arms about it. It's going to be in an hour when you think not. It's going to be a day like every other day. It's going to be days like it was before the flood in Noah's generation. People just going about their business, planning for a wedding, buying a house, mowing their lawn. It's going to be people buying a new business. It's going to be people planning for retirement. Nothing wrong with any of it, but it's just going to be normal life. And then out of the blue, in the twinkling of an eye, I'm going to intervene in human history one more time and catch my church out of there. And if you're not ready, you are going to miss the only thing that's worth living for. Another momentous event happened on Monday as the United States opened her embassy in Jerusalem. This we did hear about in a limited fashion in the media, not a very popular fashion, they didn't say very much pleasant or popular or nice about it, but they did begrudgingly tell us about it. The United States opened her embassy in the city of Jerusalem. What you would never see in the media in our country, what you would never know from any of the news here is that Jerusalem is a pandemonium of celebration. There are banners everywhere. There are flowers. There are celebrations. There's singing and dancing. They are overjoyed that finally somebody has recognized the true capital of the nation of Israel. Despite incredible opposition from the United Nations, the same nation that first recognized Israel 70 years ago, they declared themselves a nation and just a few hours later, President Truman 
declared that they would recognize Israel as a nation. And the same nation that was first to recognize them 70 years ago became the first nation to recognize Israel's capital this week. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem has commemorated this event with a very special coin. Uh, pastor being a pastor and being a little bit OCD, I've already bought one of these. It isn't here yet or I'd show you. But this coin compares Donald Trump with King Cyrus of Persia because Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple after 70 years in Babylon. And President Trump moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem after 70 years. And so they've done this beautiful coin. It's available in silver and gold. And, and these are the front and back to fulfill 70 years and the scripture. And he charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. On the back there are doves flying and it's Israel coming home like doves to their nest. You say, big deal. Yeah, thought you'd say that. But if I could have given that to some of my elder pioneer preachers that I knew and passed them that coin in the 1970s, they'd have had a revival that would have blown your mind because they would have preached on the coming of the Lord till the altars were filled and every eye was filled with tears. But see, we got to the generation that Jesus talked about where more signs are happening than ever before. They're happening with more intensity than ever before. And nobody is even noticing it. God's prophetic timepiece, Israel, is ticking. The end times are upon us. The last days are upon us. Jesus is coming. The rapture will happen. And you've got to be ready. What a criminal act it would be to have a pastor that never talks about eternal things and only tells you how to manage your money and handle your kids and build up a nice life. What a tragedy and a travesty that would be to waste your time having a nice life here for a few decades and then miss the point of the Christian church. The point is Jesus is coming and heaven is for eternity. I'm grateful uh, to uh, TBN, a Christian network, for their coverage of this uh, incredible event on their online stations this week. It's just been wonderful, and, and, and so I've collected this. I'm not by any means anybody that can edit anything professionally, but I wanted to at least try to take you there because uh, we miss so much of this. And so in the next few moments, uh, you will see... Uh, David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador to Israel. This is the ceremony from Monday. You'll hear a video address from the U.S. president. Uh, you will hear from the wonderful Israeli president, uh, uh, prime minister, rather, Benjamin Netanyahu. And finally, you will hear a prayer. And I love this prayer. I got almost crying and vibrating in my chair today, listening to this prayer. Uh, John Hagee, a U.S. Uh, minister who is the head of a wonderful ministry called Christians United for Israel. And uh, you will hear that prayer. Oh, oh my goodness. If you don't feel something during that prayer, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know. But I want to try to take you there because what happened on Monday happened while you were mowing your lawn and going to work and raising your children. What happened on Monday happened while you were vacuuming your floor and washing your dishes. What happened on Monday 
is a sign of the end times. And I know we're living in a crippled Christian world. I read one article of some empty-headed, know-nothing pastor who said, yeah, the evangelicals, thank God they don't believe this much anymore, but there's still a few people that, that think this is, is more about prophecy than politics. And in a very cynical, skeptical fashion, she dismissed all of us. She won't be dismissing all of us when the rapture happens. This is not just politics. This is prophecy being unfolded. But with every other sign, they're like this sign. They happen while normal life's unfolding. And we're not conscious of what is going on. Prophecy was fulfilled on Israel's 70th birthday, Monday, as their eternal capital was recognized. Hmm. Would you lift up your hands and just prepare your heart? It's going to be different for the next 10 minutes or so. But would you just prepare your heart to be talked to by Jesus? His spirit is in here. And then pastor will come back and wind up with some scriptures. We're not going to be a long time tonight, but God is going to speak very definitely and very directly tonight. So would you lift up your hands and then somehow with whatever you got, just get your voice in the air and pray a little bit. Jesus wants to talk to you, not just us. He wants to talk to you. If you're watching online, he doesn't want to just talk to the people in this room. He wants to talk to you. I love you, Jesus. And I ask that your spirit would just move and, 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 and touch and talk and, and convict right now. In Jesus' name, I pray it. In Jesus' name, I pray it. In Jesus' name, I pray it. Not since the recognition of Israel in 1948 by President Harry Truman has our government conducted such sweeping and significant actions in relation to the Middle East. In the Bible, God says He will bless those who bless Israel. Join us as we celebrate the historic move of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to the eternal capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. English guests and dear friends, Tammy and I welcome you to the opening and dedication of the United States Embassy in Jerusalem, Israel. On this exact day, 70 years ago, at almost this exact time, David Ben-Gurion declared Israel's independence. Just 11 minutes later, President Harry Truman caused the United States to be the very first nation to recognize the reborn state of Israel. He later regretted that he waited so long. 
70 years since that memorable event, almost to the minute, the United States finally takes the next step, a step awaited, voted upon, litigated, and prayed for for all these years. Today, we open the United States Embassy in Jerusalem, Israel. Exactly 70 years ago, the United States under President Harry Truman became the first nation to recognize the state of Israel. Today, we officially opened the United States Embassy in Jerusalem. Congratulations. It's been a long time coming. Almost immediately after declaring statehood in 1948, Israel designated the city of Jerusalem as its capital. The capital the Jewish people established in ancient times. So important. Today, Jerusalem is the seat of Israel's government. It is the home of the Israeli legislature and the Israeli Supreme Court and Israel's prime minister and president. Israel is a sovereign nation with the right, like every other sovereign nation, to determine its own capital. Yet for many years, we failed to acknowledge the obvious, the plain reality that Israel's capital is Jerusalem. On December 6, 2017, at my direction, the United States finally and officially recognized Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel. Today, we follow through on this recognition and open our embassy in the historic and sacred land of Jerusalem. And we're opening it many, many years ahead of schedule. As I said in December, our greatest hope is for peace. The United States remains fully committed to facilitating a lasting peace agreement, and we continue to support the status quo at Jerusalem's holy sites, including at the Temple Mount, also known as Haram al-Sharif. This city and its entire nation is a testament to the unbreakable spirit of the Jewish people. The United States will always be a great friend of Israel and a partner in the cause of freedom and peace. We wish Ambassador Friedman good luck as he takes up his office in this beautiful Jerusalem embassy. And we extend a hand in friendship to Israel, the Palestinians, and to all of their neighbors. May there be peace. May God bless this embassy. May God bless all who serve there. And may God bless the United States of America. Thank you. On behalf of the 45th president of the United States of America, we welcome you officially and for the first time to the Embassy of the United States here in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Thank you. Dear friends, what a glorious day. Remember this moment. This is history. President Trump, by recognizing history, you have made history. 
In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, Abram passed the greatest test of faith and the right to be the father of our nation. In Jerusalem, King David established our capital 3,000 years ago. In Jerusalem, King Solomon built our temple, which stood for many centuries. In Jerusalem, Jewish exiles from Babylon rebuilt the temple, which stood for many more centuries. In Jerusalem, the Maccabees rededicated that temple and restored Jewish sovereignty in this land. And it was here in Jerusalem, some 2,000 years later, that the soldiers of Israel spoke three immortal words, the Temple Mount is in our hands. Words that lifted the spirit of the entire nation. We are in Jerusalem and we are here to stay. The prophet Zechariah declared over 2,500 years ago, so said the Lord, I will return to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. May the opening of this embassy in this city spread the truth far and wide and may the truth advance a lasting peace between Israel and all our neighbors. God bless the United States of America and God bless Jerusalem, the eternal, undivided capital of Israel. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, shechayanu, vekimanu, vegiyanu, lazman hazeh. Thank you very much. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who calls the stars by name and measures space with a span of his hand. The God who is the king of the universe. We gather here today to thank you for the joy of living and seeing this glorious and historic day. We thank you for the state of Israel, the lone torch of freedom in the Middle East, who lives and prospers because of your everlasting love for the Jewish people. It was you, O oh Lord, who gathered the exiles from the nations and brought them home again. It was you who made statehood possible. It was you that gave a miraculous victory in 1967 when Jerusalem was reopened to worshipers of all faith. Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is the heartbeat of Israel. Jerusalem is where Abraham placed his son on the altar of the Temple Mount and became the father of many nations. Jerusalem is where Jeremiah and Isaiah penned principles of righteousness that became the moral foundations of Western civilization. Jerusalem is where Messiah will come and establish a kingdom that will never end. We thank you, O oh Lord, for President Donald Trump's courage in acknowledging to the world a truth established 3,000 years ago that Jerusalem is and always shall be the eternal capital of the Jewish people. And because of that courage of our president, we gather here today to consecrate the ground 
upon which the United States Embassy will stand, reminding the dictators of the world that America and Israel are forever united. We thank you for our ambassador, David Friedman, and pray your anointing upon him as he opens the doors of the U.S. Embassy to receive the nations of the world. Let the word go forth from Jerusalem today that Israel lives. Shout it from the housetops that Israel lives. Let every Islamic terrorist hear this message, Israel lives. Let it be heard in the halls of the United Nations, Israel lives. Let it echo down the marble halls of the presidential palace in Iran, Israel lives. Let it be known to all men that Israel lives because he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. As King David prayed 3,000 years ago, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and all its inhabitants. Let the name of the Lord be glorified today for the defender of Israel today, tomorrow, and forever is here. Can we all shout hallelujah? Amen. you would actually lift up your voice and shout hallelujah. Prophecy was unfurled and unfolded this week in our world. I thank God for it. I thank you, Jesus, for it. What unprecedented times we're living in. I thank you, God, for what we've witnessed this week. I worship you, Jesus. Some of you elders never thought you'd live to see that, but we have lived to see it. Some of our preachers died. They went into the grave and on to heaven, and they preached about days like happened this week, but they never got to see it. But we are a blessed people. We are the people upon whom the ends of the world are come. And Jesus is returning very, very soon. He said he would return when the signs of the times were happening more frequently and with more intensity than ever before. But he said that most people wouldn't even notice it because they were too busy and too happy, too preoccupied and successful, too content and distracted, far too worldly. He addressed those comments to disciples like you and me. And in the very next chapter, Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable about 10 virgins it's a stern warning for every single one of us to simply be ready. In Jesus' parables, all ten of the prospective brides were virgins. They all expected the bridegroom to come at some point, but all of them fell asleep while they were waiting. And even worse, only five had oil in their lamps. There is no other reason for Jesus to tell this parable. There is no other reason for Jesus to say, while the bridegroom tarried his coming, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, when they didn't expect it, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. 100% were asleep at that moment, and only 50% were ready to even wake up and go with the bridegroom 
Only five had oil in their lamps. There is no other reason for Jesus to tell that parable other than to warn us within an inch of our lives that it is possible to believe you are ready for the rapture and in reality not be ready at all. It is a treacherous thing to live in the end times this close to the coming of the Lord when the awareness is so low even in the church, and the stakes have never been so high. Sin is destroying our world, and apostasy is attacking church after church. Many are falling away from the faith. Many more are discarding their dedication to God's laws. It is the era of casual, uncommitted Christianity that we live in. It is the season of astonishing, astounding signs that nobody even notices anymore. It's the time just before the end. How close are we, Pastor? Very close. Extremely close. Frighteningly close. Paul wrote, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, Yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, all's good, all's wonderful, it's then that sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. And then he makes his plea. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness. Why would you let that day overtake you like a thief? You all are the children of light and your children of the day. We're not of the night. We're not of that darkness. So let's not go to sleep like everybody else, but let's wake up and let's watch and let's be sober and let's be ready. You say, Pastor, this is kind of an intense, kind of negative message. Not at all. Because while many bad things are happening in prophecy, apostasy everywhere, many good things are happening as well. Because the same Bible that prophesies an end time falling away prophesies a great end time in gathering into the kingdom of God. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Yeah, we're living in the day of the end, but we're living in the day of the greatest revival to ever hit this planet. So I'm not the least bit discouraged, but I am here to sound a warning. Let's not talk about it, sing about it, teach about it, preach about it, and then miss it for God's sake and heaven's sake and your sake and our sake. Let's not miss the entire point of being a Christian. Stand with me. Luke chapter 21 Jesus said, there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On the earth, there will be distress of nations. There'll be perplexity. The sea and the waves will be roaring and men's hearts will fail them for fear just by looking after those things that are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven, they shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, don't have a panic attack. Don't run into hiding. Don't 
backslide. Don't get depressed and discouraged when you see the signs of the times accelerating and intensifying. Then look up and lift up your heads and get ready for your redemption. Draweth nigh. That means whatever disease you might have in your body in just a few days or weeks or months when Jesus comes, you could die with a disease, but if you're ready for heaven, you're going to live forever. But before you even get to your next doctor's appointment, Jesus could come. Before you have to pay the next bill, Jesus could come. Before you have that next thing with your banker or your lawyer, Jesus could come. And the trials you've walked through, they'll seem as nothing when Jesus returns. I wish you'd lift up everything you got. Heart and hands, voice and words, spirit and soul. I wish you'd lift up worship and praise and prayer and intercession. Glory! Woo! Let me tell you, uh, I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. That message was so dynamic and so anointed. I mean, what an anointed word from a great and mighty man of God, Pastor Raymond Woodward uh, out of Canada. Uh, Let me tell you, it just, you know, hearing messages like that, you don't hear them as often as you used to uh, when I was a kid, but what an anointed word of God concerning the end times, the signs of the times, the prophetic, and to know that the rapture could happen at any day. It's the next major event to happen on the prophetic time clock of God's calendar. Hey, I want to be one of the five wise virgins. I want to keep my heart full of that Holy Ghost. I don't want to be messing around with the filth and the dirtiness of this world. I want to remain separated and holy unto God. He's coming back for a bride, folks, that he says has no spot, no blemish, and no wrinkle. Okay, let me tell you, if you're sitting up in a movie theater and you're letting your heart and your mind wallow in the filth of what Hollywood's producing, I can promise you, you're deceived if you think you're not unspotted from this world. Uh, You know, I talked to a fellow once not too long ago and he's just a little slightly off on his doctrine, okay? Uh, The Bible calls you to be holy, folks, okay? He says, be ye holy for I am holy. Never once does he say, well, holiness is something I took care of for you on the cross. Go out and run off and look like this world and spend your time doing the things that this world does. Uh, that's not sound doctrine. Okay. Uh, in, in fact, it's, it's said so many times about holiness. He says, be holy. If I tell you to be quiet, guess what? That doesn't mean that I've done it for you and that you can continue talking. It means shut your mouth. It means be still. It means be quiet. If I tell you to be clean, guess what? Go get in the shower. Uh, when you're called to be something, that means the action has to come from you. Uh, the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. And without holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. That holiness, uh, apostolic folks, Holy Ghost filled people is what keeps you separated from this world. It's what makes you look different than this world. No, I'm not going to spend my time with you at the UFC fights, uh, uh, mingling with this world. No, I'm not going to Uh, pick up the fashions and the trends of this world. I ain't doing it. I want to stay holy and pure because I know the rapture's on the horizon. It could happen any minute. I'm telling you, 
I'm going to do a lap right here in my uh, spare bedroom. If there was room, I promise I'd be up doing a lap. I am pumped up. I'm fired up. I'm excited about this message. I'm glad that you folks tuned in and got to hear it and be a part of it. Let it light a fire under you. Um, in fact, kind of along the lines of that is the word for the week. Uh, you're going to find it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And it says this, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Okay? We got to be pure because God's pure. We got to be holy because God's holy. If you think that God did something for you on the cross that produced holiness within you where you stand and that you have no need to answer the call of being holy that he has put forth so many times throughout his word uh, and that you could just continue to run amok with this world. Uh, gentlemen and ladies, you're deceiving yourself because that is not the case. Uh, it's simply this. The path is narrow. The way is narrow. It's more narrow, more narrow than going to these Hollywood movies and sitting in the movie theater and watching the filth that they produce. Uh, it's more narrow than using profanity. It's more narrow than looking like this world. It's more narrow than spending your time at a UFC fight. Ladies and gentlemen, this message It, it, it promotes a holy standard of living for the Christian, for the Holy Ghost filled brother or sister. It should really make you want to be separated from this world. And, 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 and you know, where do I want to be when that rapture happens? I mean, do I want to be watching a movie in a movie theater? Do I want to be listening to some rock and roll music? Do I want to be using profanity? I don't think so. All right, I want to live every second of every day like the rapture is getting ready to happen a second from now. All right, once more, once again, and I leave you until next week with the word of the week. It's found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, and it says this, ladies and gentlemen, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, That is the Bible, and that's the truth.